So you asked me if I'm living the life my father wanted me to live. I am mm-hmm. definitely not living the life my father wanted me to live. What What was it? I think my dad wanted me to be like, well, I know my dad wanted me to be like, well, so I was like, a, I was an honor student in elementary school and like I was super like ahead of the curve in reading and in math and everything. And uh, I was a big reader and I was a big nerd and it was very obvious to them that I was going to be a doctor or a lawyer or like just a big professional whatever um and that that's because like my sister was very athletic and she was she excelled Mm -hmm. in like she excelled in the hard work category and i excelled in the just i just happened to be really good at everything category or really good at academics Mm -hmm. but what they didn't realize was that that wasn't the direction i was actually heading in i was really good at stuff that i was really good at but as soon as things became challenging i lost confidence and i stopped trying and so once school got hard in sixth grade and i actually had to like start working at what i was doing then that's when my grade slipped and whereas my dad was probably just like well just buckle down and make good grades i just lost confidence and mm-hmm. so I, I uh i didn't become the doctor i didn't become the businessman i didn't become the 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 success that I think my father wanted me to be. Instead, I became a guy with three podcasts. You know, <laughs> everything happens for a reason. What's the reason? You have three podcasts. <laughs> also, I was born. That's if you had been a doctor, I probably wouldn't have been born. I know. I know. Like, I don't know if I don't p- particularly subscribe to the notion that everything happens for a reason. I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you say it? to make you feel better no i don't subscribe to that notion but uh in in regarding the movie we're covering today in the regarding the book of life and what jorge gutierrez said Mm -hmm. uh in the interview the ted talk we watched just before we started recording um i do feel like i have written my own story for Mm -hmm. my life it's not necessarily the story that like as far as like my accomplishments go that are ideal mm-hmm. for in me in my opinion but i definitely forged my own path mm-hmm. so i got that thematically going for me What podcast is this? <laughs> hey, everyone. I'm Phil. And I'm Molly. And it's, it's Del Toro time. time. It's Del Toro time. No, and it's not. Well, kind of. A little bit. We've got a little bit of Del Toro in here. It's another Del Toro produced movie. Bonus episode because it's not directed by him. No. Or written by him. Nope. But it is produced by him. Mm-hmm. Like super produced by him. Super super producer. he's a super producer we know this for a fact now like Mm -hmm. there's stuff that you know what i was looking back at lists and i was like man there's stuff we didn't touch on that keeps coming up in like interviews and articles and things he's like oh yeah i totally totally worked on and i'm like ah like we just cannot go back and like do every single thing that he like had his hands in that would take 20 years it would take 20 years plus we'd have to like watch like the puss in boots movie and i'm just like not all 
up on the Puss in Boots movie. Nobody is. I saw an interview where he talked about the movie Megamind. Did you ever see Megamind? Mm-mm. It was there was like it came out around the same time Despicable Me came out, and it was the other movie about like the supervillain. He had like a big brain, like a big head. Was he like trying to win and he couldn't win? <laughs> Is there a, I'm trying to think of an animated motion picture about a person who's trying to win and he can't win. And I'm just drawing it, coming up blank. No, there was a movie that I remember watching about an alien who was a supervillain, but, and he was like trying to, he like couldn't win. He couldn't succeed. I just know that he was blue. Yeah. And it was like a superhero who was like his nemesis. Who was a jerk. Probably. We're probably thinking the same. Well, in any case. Uh, I just was watching an interview with Guillermo del Toro and uh, Jorge Gutierrez, uh, and he just happened to casually mention the fact that he came in in the last like couple of weeks of production on Megamind and was like, yeah, you need to re-edit this whole movie. And so they did. Like He was like, because he, he believes that, and we'll talk about this with Book of Life, he believes that filmmaking, especially animation, lives or dies in the editing. Mm-hmm. And so he had them cut out like seven minutes of the movie and tighten it all up, and he said it became a lot better. But then I was like, well, we can't watch Megamind. Like, I don't, I'm not going to go back and watch Megamind, even though Guillermo del Toro made it a better movie. Like, But that did start his relationship with DreamWorks, mm-hmm. which started his relationship with Troll Hunters and yada, 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 and the Puss in the Boots. And Nobody cares about the Puss in Boots. Uh, somebody for- does. The Puss in the Boots t- TV. Isn't that called Puss in Boots, not Puss in the Boots? <laughs> <laughs> it's been running on Netflix for like 100 years now. There's a TV show? Well, Netflix series. Oh, okay. Puss in the Boots. Uh, That's a TV show. What? You're thinking of the big comfy couch. <laughs> <laughs> we should start talking about the movie we watched. <laughs> what did we watch? We watched The Book of Life. The Book of Life from 2014, directed by Jorge Gutierrez, uh, written by Jorge Gutierrez and Doug Langdale, and produced by Mr. Del Toro. Mm-hmm. And this was a movie that took him how long to get made? 14 years. 14 years. And why did it take so long to get this movie up off the ground? Because nobody cared. Why didn't they care about this movie? Because it was about Mexican culture. Because it's about Mexican culture. And that is something that we in the United States have a weird relationship with. Mm-hmm. That what is it about Mexican culture? What is it about Mexicans? What is it about Mexicans and the dead? <laughs> Which well, I think is an actual quote from the movie. <laughs> what is it with Mexicans and the dead or Mexicans like and death that the little kid says? Yeah. Which is, I think, like the theme of like a good portion of this film. What is it with Mexicans and death? What am I doing? You're playing with something on the floor and it's bothering me. <laughs> <laughs> it's Mitzi's violin book. Mitzi's violin book. Just kick it aside. Ain't no violin in this. Kick it into a volcano. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no one was interested in making this movie. And, oh, yeah. So Mexican culture. Mm-hmm. Do you have any um, stake in Mexican culture? I mean, like, any I part? am Mexican. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about our heritage real quick. And then we'll get into the movie. Mm-hmm. And then we'll get back into our heritage. And then we'll get back into my sob stories about my life. And then that's the end of the episode. <laughs> and that's the episode because you are, you have much, much in your background. You have all kinds of blood running through you. I do. Yes. Uh, Mexican being a good chunk of it mm-hmm. because I am Mexican, mm-hmm. at least half Mexican, at least a quarter Mexican. It's weird. You're half Mexican. Well, so my grandfather was Spanish. Mm-hmm. He was not Mexican. My grandmother was Mexican. And so if you go into like a family reunion, uh, my grandfather's side of the family was very tall, very fair skinned, very light haired, light complected. Um, 
the Spa- uh, Spanish mm-hmm. and uh, very European looking, as they say. My grandmother's side of the family was very small, very short, uh, stocky, uh, very dark skinned, uh, with a lot of mustaches, <laughs> a lot of very fancy mustaches. Uh, like my father, mm-hmm. uh, my father's actually one of the taller of the of the cousins. So we go to the we go to he's these taller than I am. That's true. That's true. Um, but he's not a tall man. Yeah. And we would go to these family reunions, and these cousins would come around, and be like, "Hey, Ruben," and he'd like say hello, and they'd all be standing around. And as a kid, I'd look and I'd see like all these men who looked like my father, but like to varying degrees of height and width. Like they looked like russian nesting dolls of my dad they Mm -hmm. all had the same mustache and the same hair part and the same like facial features and so yeah so i'm i'm a quarter mexican because my mother's side is whatever a mushmash of europe europe um but as we know it's the last name that sort of throws your identity on you in a lot of situations Mm -hmm. and so then you are basically half me and have, and that's well, how that is work. how genetics work. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got a lot of Polish in you as well. Yes. Um, and a Polish last name. Mm-hmm. So when people see your name written out, they don't identify you as being no. a Latinx or anything. They're like, oh, Polish. People see my last name and they're like, oh, at least Mex- at least Mexican, possibly Spanish. And they usually ask. People are always surprised when I'm like, yeah, no, I have Mexican heritage. Yep. And people are always surprised when they see me and they find out I have Mexican heritage because I look like the whitest white boy <laughs> walking down the street. And yes. uh, the the story goes that when I went to go get representation at a, at a, uh, at a, at an act, what is it called? A, what is it? Acting representation at a agency. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what I'm looking for. Uh, I went under the pretense of they were looking for Mexican and Latino actors. And I show up and the woman's all, yeah, you're not Latino. And I was like, I am Latino. I mean, I'm literally Latino. And she's like, we could, I could maybe see you getting cast as Irish. And I was like, all right, I do have Irish blood in me. I know. But so, yeah, it's that whole like last name versus appearance versus. Yeah. And to be honest, very lucky that we don't like come off as mexican because we don't have to face the same i wouldn't say i'm lucky so much as it's given it's presented me with more opportunities with opportunities that aren't necessarily available to darker skinned mexicans mm-hmm. like i don't face the prejudices neither I have, do I. <laughs> I i have benefited from the privilege of coming across as generic white man yeah and in a way that's been a, a benefit just because I, I mean, the only, the main benefit I see is I just avoid, I've just avoided those prejudices most of my life. Mm-hmm. The detriment to me is that I have avoided my culture mm-hmm. most of my life mm-hmm. because I never had to interact with my culture. Uh, I was raised, we were raised in suburban white Texas and as far from... I was not raised in suburban no, white Texas. No, my family, my me and my sister and... My sister only learned Spanish because she had to for school. I took French. Like, I just didn't, and it wasn't encouraged. Like, it was, there was no, like, push. Uh, my father and his older sister both grew up speaking Spanish. But then by the time his younger sister and his younger brother were born, their family had moved up in in income, moved into a whiter neighborhood, and his younger two siblings didn't learn Spanish. 
they had accents, but that just it wasn't spoken around the house. It wasn't taught to those kids because they wanted to blend in, which at the time was vital. Mm-hmm. Like they didn't teach you English in school. Like you just had to know it. Get get. My father went to school not speaking a word of English, and he just had to pick it up, which is why he has very little sympathy for anyone struggling with the language. Mm-hmm. Maybe we won't talk about that later. Is but it's the part of that like sort of inborn anti not anti Mexican but just like there's a lot of like weird Mexican prejudice within my own nuclear family. Mm-hmm. But this is all a long way of saying that this movie, by its own existence, brings up these issues, mm-hmm. even though it's not like steeped in specific mexican living because it's so stylized Mm -hmm. like it's very stylized Mm -hmm. um it's uh it's still got i mean it's it's a mexican movie yep let's add to the conversation by talking about the book of life which took so long to get made uh picked up by real fx a dallas-based animation studio looking to Mm -hmm. to do a big project did you see free birds no then you didn't see anything that they produced. That's okay. uh, they are Book of Life was basically their first like big mm-hmm. motion picture, and now they've got a lot of stuff in development. So we'll see where they go. I'm I love when new animation studios. I love anything that I mean. I love Pixar, but I love anything that moves away from the Pixar school of filmmaking and yeah. starts doing their own thing. And this is definitely doing its own thing in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. Because I don't want to belabor this. What is the plot story of Book of Life? Um, well, these two, I guess, gods. Mm-hmm. Uh, spirits, like spirits, folk like characters. Kings and queens. We'll talk about them. In yeah. Specific. Um, are fighting over which land they want to rule. The land of the dead or the land of the forgotten. Mm-hmm. The land of the remembered, the land of the forgotten. Right. Um, it's basically two different underworlds. Yeah. Uh, one of them is a woman. The other one is a dragon <laughs> i can't see anything but discord from my little pony he does look like discord from my little pony but they're coded female and male yeah and they're in like a relationship i guess or they were in a relationship yeah and they're fighting they make a wager about three little kids one of them whom is a girl mm-hmm. um and these two guys are trying to win her heart they're like that one's gonna win no that one's gonna win yeah um flash forward a few years She's been sent off to a ladies' school. Yeah. Um, the, I guess, evil of the two. I'm not. I don't want to no, say he's they're, evil. They're, they're, yeah, the, neither of them are evil. Just one of them is, uh, just sort of a little more malevolent. But mm-hmm. he's not a bad guy. No, he's just sad. <laughs> yeah. Um, is he chose the macho like warrior dude? Yeah. And he gave the, him this pin that makes him unable to get hurt or killed. Right. So he becomes like the hero of the land. Yeah. And the the woman, mm-hmm. what's her name? La Muerte. La Muerte, um, who is like everything good in the world, but is also very sassy. Mm-hmm. And I like her, um, Is has chosen this musician or this aspiring musician. Whose family wants him to be a bullfighter. Yeah. And... We need to know what we need to know about the girl is that she doesn't like killing. Yes. In any regards. She frees all the pigs. Right. And she has a pet pig. Yeah. It's 
an amazing character. Yeah. But they're all all three of them, both the guys and and uh, so the guys the 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 musician is Manolo, mm-hmm. and the uh, the soldier the hero is Joaquin, mm-hmm. and uh, her name is Maria, mm-hmm. and they're all just nice characters. Yeah, they're all friends. Yeah, like they're genuinely good people. Yeah, um, just to, just to get it out of the head, out of the out in the open, like you're not you're rooting for Manolo because he's obviously the main character. Yeah, and and uh, Joaquin has been given this magic pin and he's kind of a jerk <laughs> he's he's a little bit of a braggart but it's mostly because they're all trying to live up to their fathers i mean them. like his father was like the hero of the land but i mean once he started talking at that dinner i was like goodbye yeah. have have a fun life alone <laughs> so to sum up this the rest of the plot of the story real quick um, um she comes back they're both trying to win her heart they get in a fight um joaquin proposes she says no <laughs> Um, Manolo dies, or first Maria supposedly dies with being bit by a snake that Shibalba Shibalba sent out. Um, Manolo is so sad that he basically commits suicide by the snake. Yeah, he lets the snake bite him twice. Right, because it's two head snake. Yeah. Um, he ends up in day of he ends up in remembered folks land. Remembered mm-hmm. folks land. The land of the remembered. Um, he's like, where's Maria? Yeah. Shabal was like, ha, she's not dead. You fool. Yeah. And he's like, crap, I got to go save the town. Because right. apparently it's all going to die. And he's going to get tossed into the land of the forgotten. Um, so they go on this quest. He destroys a giant rock sword. Mm-hmm. Um, then they meet Pixar Man. <laughs> they meet a guy from a Pixar movie mm-hmm. played by Ice Cube. He's the candle maker. Yeah. Who's like, I mean, I guess I can help you because it's Day of the Dead. And like, yeah. we all have some leeway. So then there's a wager, and the wager is Manolo has to defeat every single bull that the family has finished. And so it's like the spirits of like a thousand bulls. It's a lot of bulls. And they all form one like giant monster bull. Gestalt bull out of all I like bulls. that bull. It's so cool. Looking. It's a great scene. It's a great scene. And Which he defeats by singing. Yeah. The magic of movies. Well, and begging its forgiveness. Yeah. For all Which the is death. a beautiful song. It's a great scene. It's but he defeats the he defeats the bull with music, mm-hmm. and the bull turns into a bunch of flower petals, and it's beautiful, and I love it. Mm-hmm. And uh, Shibalba is like, okay, yeah, you did the way. Like this is where you realize, no, he's not evil. Yeah, he's just salty about having to control the land of the forgotten. Right. <laughs> and so he gets sent back up. Maria and um, Joaquin are gonna get married because Maria is like, I have to. I have to keep him here because he's the only thing that can protect the town. Right. He doesn't want to marry her anymore because he knows that she's not doing it out of love. She's doing it out of duty to the town. Yes. Luckily, right in the middle of the wedding, (laughs) the actual antagonist attacks. Yeah. There's like, so there's this, uh, there's this uh, raider, this bandit. Bandit king. Yeah. Who used to have the pin that made him unkillable and, and he kind of went insane after losing it right so he's coming back to get the pin and to destroy the town mm-hmm. and the the basic gist is that you only stay in the land of the remembered after you die as long as there's people on earth who remember you and if mm-hmm. the whole town gets wiped out then no one will remember anybody and you'll all go into the land of the forgotten which is a bad place mm-hmm. yeah so uh they fight there's a big fight yeah um then guess who pops up out of the ground and punches the bad guy with a god punch, which is so cool. It's Manolo. Yeah. He's like, I'm alive. Ha ha. 
and he's like, I'm going to fight you. And the bad guy's like, with what army? And then his entire family comes out of the ground. Yeah. Not alive, still dead, but very much there. And there's an awesome fight scene. Joaquin gets discovered as having the pin that makes him the hero. And everyone's like, excuse me, what? Then they're like, wait, we're still fighting this guy. Let's just keep fighting. Um, He takes Maria, the bad guy, takes Maria up to this tower and Manolo's like ah and then there's a fight and Manolo is supposedly dead and then he's not dead because Joaquin put the pin on his back and then Maria and Manolo get married right the end <laughs> so it's a it's it sounds like there's a whole lot of plot and there's even more than that going on mm-hmm. like eventually almost all of Manolo's family dies and shows yeah. up in the underworld because they're being killed by this bandit like it's or his grand his grandmother dies of high cholesterol like it's just like this like there's so much happening this movie moves fast yeah like it is an incredibly fast-paced movie but it's an awesome movie. it's less than an hour and a half long and it is it never stops which is good running yeah and i think that that that's a uh well i guess it's an hour and a half long but that i think that's a testament to uh to game of toro's insistence on on fast editing and just it doesn't seem it never seems disjointed mm-hmm. it's just there is nothing wasted which is good. Yeah, it'll slow down for a moment, like to give two characters some time. Some time, but you learn everything you need to know. But like as it's go, I could just yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not like spending ten hours on character development. Right. The characters develop during the movie. <laughs> right. It's also bookended by strange-looking kids going to a museum. They're all detention kids, and they get told the story of the movie by a tour guide her, uh, yeah her name is uh mary beth and mm-hmm. uh she's voiced by christina applegate she, she ends up in the end being revealed to be just an, a human avatar of la muerte the mm-hmm. the uh the the ruler of the land of the remembered which you kind of figure i she's she's, telling a, she's not she's not just a, another tour guide right and uh and then like the uh the janitor or whoever mm-hmm. the other like who works in the ends up being Shibalba because uh, La Muerte and Shibalba end up getting back together at the end. Yeah, um, like he redeems himself in her eyes. Yeah, and she's like, okay. But let's talk about these characters um, and this movie and just the intense like this movie is. We there, we didn't even mention there's songs all throughout it mm-hmm. uh, because uh, because uh, Manolo is a musician, a musician, an aspiring singer, and he. The, all the songs they sing are pop songs. Which weirded me out at first. Yeah. Including, I was like, what is this? Like uh, Creep uh, by Radiohead gets sung at one point by him to uh, to uh, Maria. And uh, what else? There's a, there's that Mumford and Sons song. Um, yeah. Like, there's a, just a lot of songs. Do You Think I'm Sexy? Can't Help Falling in Love? Um, just a Friend? Like, And it's jarring at first once you realize because is is creep the first song that gets yeah is it the first one that it's the first one that really stood out to me as being like oh wait that's creep um it's weird because like it's not the original instrumentation behind it either right so what uh what uh the uh, Gutierrez said was uh, he put in these songs as kind of like well here's this here's you know like the way I'm feeling I'll just put these in as songs that represent like. The feel I want, but I doubt you know, because I'm a first time filmmaker and this is a small studio. I doubt we'll get the permission to use any of these songs. But yeah. they put Creep in there, and they didn't think they'd ever get Creep because other movies had tried to use Creep, but Radiohead always said no. In fact, Del Toro tried to get Creep for Hellboy, mm-hmm. and and Radiohead was like, nah. 
And so he was like, well, you know, may as well try. So they sent the script to Radiohead and we're like, we'd like to use Creep. And he said that they read it and they were like, this is great. This is exactly what this song is about. You can use it. And because they got Creep, they got Radiohead's permission that opened the door. Like they were able to use that as leverage for other musicians and say like, well, we got Radiohead. And so other musicians be like, oh, I guess this is a legit project. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of opened the door to them using all these songs. It was jarring at first. It was, but like it grew on me. It does. And what I love about it and I, what I love about the use of it, and this reflects the, I believe, filmmaker's intention, is that it sh- he didn't want this movie to just be a museum's idea of what Mexican culture is. He's like, Mexican yeah. culture is a million different influences and Mexican culture isn't staid and static. It is, mm-hmm. it is on, it knows pop culture. Like the, it's not just, uh, you know, like what we think of as like Spanish language mariachi music. It's yeah. it, people in Mexico take the influences from all over the world. Mm-hmm. And so you have these like recognizably non Mexican songs showing up, but it's like be, but being sung mm-hmm. in a different style. And because he's like, yeah, this is a this is a world culture, mm-hmm. and that's what this movie. He says the movie has a thousand different influences that you know, from anime to to uh, hip hop to just all these different styles. But the but in this in this one visually arresting package, mm-hmm. and let's talk about the visual style real it's quick. It's beautiful. Yeah, but it's not beautiful in a Pixar way mm-hmm. or a Disney way. It's not hyper realistic. Oh God! <laughs> uh, it, it it looks like stop motion animation at mm-hmm. times um, because the characters are built dolls. to look like dolls. Because they are dolls, right? This it looks like the whole movie gives the feel that you're watching a uh, someone manipulate figures around a diorama. Be- because you are <laughs> right, not in like a Paper Mario kind of way. Yeah. Like it's not flat, but uh, they they're very. They're very animated. Yeah, because the woman at the museum is telling the story and she's using dolls. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's interesting because their their joints are all hinged and mm-hmm. like they they pop apart in fun ways. Uh, at one point, like characters lose arms or like even like the living characters like will yeah. fall apart every once in a while. Um, but it works. The aesthetic works because it feels very much like it feels to me like you're watching a street performer with puppets like marionettes Mm -hmm. like do a show for you like tell the story of this like folk tale but i thought it just set it apart from any other it was beautiful it's a beautiful movie it's a beautiful looking movie and uh the the screen is just packed with with images and characters Mm -hmm. like all interacting and there's bright colors it's like it's just like a fun movie yeah and if you're familiar at all with uh el tigre the adventures of manny rivera uh which was uh uh Jorge Gutierrez's show that he did for Nickelodeon, you know what his art style is like. And these characters mm-hmm. are his designs. I think he said that he wanted the art book for the movie. When you look, he said that he would always get frustrated when you looked at uh, like the concept art for animated motion pictures and it always looked so cool. And then you saw the movie on the screen and it just looked like any other animated motion picture. You're like, no, where's that awesome art you guys were doing? He wanted what was on the screen to look like the concept art. And I think it does. Mm. I like concept art. Generally, yeah. I like it more than the actual. Yeah, yeah. Like when you look at the concept art for like Frozen, 
Like those characters are just like alive and like th- like just bizarre and dynamic. And you know the movie, you know, it, look, it looks good, mm-hmm. but it looks like a Disney movie. Yeah. And uh, like these characters, like their hair, like you pointed this out during the movie about the hair. I couldn't decide which way it was going because it kept flipping, kept flipping. Yeah. Because if you look at a static drawing, the way cartoonists will draw a character, their hair won't necessarily move three-dimensionally. It'll always be stylized and like it's kind of facing the same way no matter which way they're facing. Mm-hmm. So their silhouette always looks like them. And he managed to pull that off in 3D, like in three dimensions, using, I don't understand. I know that modeling characters like that is extremely difficult because to treat a 3D character like a 2D drawing is more difficult than realistic 3d rendering so mm-hmm. hats off to them because they make it work they do but these characters are some of them are grotesque there's a lot of like long noses with like hangy ends and like the teeth aren't like beautifully like yeah which is i think it works because it's like they're beautiful yeah like these every character in this movie is beautifully done yeah Everything is beautiful. They pop out. They really, it really stands out. And like every character looks different. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I just think it's a testament to his strong conceptualization of what this movie's supposed to look like and feel like. And the colors are just like, wow. Like you just realize you don't see a lot of colors like this on screen. Yeah. Um, Most of it's like blues and purples. Yeah. And this is just like, it just pops all over the place. It almost looks like, I mean, I wouldn't go so far as to say it looks like folk art because I can't name what folk art it looks like, but it kind of looks like folk art. <laughs> like if you go, if, if we were to go to uh what's the place on Chicago here? Um, I don't know where you tried to go to dinner the other night, but it was closed. Midtown global market. If we went to Midtown global market and you saw these paintings, like paintings of these characters mm-hmm. at one of the stands, like I would say, Oh, this fits like this, this yeah. feels it's funky. And I like Midtown Global Market. Yeah, but it looks like it was created by a person mm-hmm. and not a committee. Yeah. Like, it doesn't look like a product. It looks like someone's idea. Like, but it, but also very organic, like very from the heart. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, and I can see where it kind of might have been a hard sell for a studio. Yeah. Because they're like, this doesn't look like... Disney. This doesn't look like... Or like Danny Phantom or like... Uh, That's a good show. Or Ben 10. But, you know, it doesn't have like a studio's look. Like It doesn't is, look like anime. Yeah, this isn't, and it doesn't look like, you know, like it doesn't, it, I don't know. It doesn't reflect the the visual stylings of any one particular style. Yeah. It's just his style. Um, but I think, I dig it. I don't like how the men, like the, like the two main men have like these like giant arms and these bodies. Like they look like, they look like you could just pick them up and play with them. They look like superheroes. They look, they have the tiny legs and like mm-hmm. the big like hunching like shoulders and arms like they look like stereotypical superheroes <laughs> except for the candle maker except for the candle maker who is rendered in like glorious almost cell shaded 3d art like it he looks like like you said like the the like a crazy cousin of the genie from aladdin or whatever no, you said the, the grandfather of Ala- of the genie but also kind of like a moana character yeah he looks he looks like he just he's just he's just very pixar yeah yeah he's a pixar character and i think that's cool like it really makes him like stand out mm-hmm. as like a... it's obviously done on purpose <laughs> yeah oh yeah it's a it's a it's a choice it's not like oh i really screwed up that character <laughs> <laughs> no he 
and he's he acts so different from the other characters he's just like party guy yeah <laughs> and he's obviously so lonely yeah and uh so in each candle he has represents a, a life yeah and the candles that are lit are the the living people and the candles that are burned out of the dead mm-hmm. and um, he's just thrown around a candle right and he also has the book of life itself which is like his like friend it, like mm-hmm. hangs out with him uh so let's talk about concepts and characters. Um, the Book of Life itself is the book that all of our stories are written in. Mm-hmm. Or have. Or have been or will be written in. Yeah. Like, so there's this, and there's this thematic split where it's like some people's lives are written and they live the lives that, they, that were written for them. Mm-hmm. But you can choose to write your own life. Yeah. And in that case, your pages are blank until you write them. Which means that you're not supposed to die. What? So, in the scene where he meets the candle maker, the candle maker's like, "Hey, your pages are still blank. Oh, you right, weren't right. written. You weren't. You didn't die when you were supposed to. Yeah. Hey, you're not dead." Yeah, and it, I like that that this version of of a book of life. It's very similar to like Destiny's book and uh, like the Sandman comics, where mm-hmm. Destiny carries around this book of everything that ever happened or ever will be, and all he does is read the book because he sees everything. And I like the 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 twist on it though that. Even though everything is written, it's not necessarily written. Like, if you yeah. want, you can go off script and write your own way out. Like, that's a that's a very modern idea of story. Like, the idea that we are living a story that we write for ourselves. Yeah. And, I mean, you see, like, those themes reflected in, like, Hamilton as well. Like... You're not, and you're not just the story you've written for yourself. You are also how you are remembered, which is another mm-hmm. huge theme in this. So let's talk about the difference in the land of the remembered and the land of the forgotten. Well, in the land of the forgotten, you are a shell and mm-hmm. you get blown away into dust. Yes. And in the land of the remembered, it's a giant party that happens all the time. It's like 24-7 Is it a giant party that happens all the time? It did happen to be on the Day of the Dead. No, they talk about how it's a giant party that happens okay. all the time in the beginning of the movie. Because that seems exhausting. I mean, they're dead. I guess that's true. They don't have to eat anything. Although, can I talk about something real quick? Yes. The dead grandfather kept complaining about his arthritis. Yeah, that stinks, huh? You would think that if you were dead, <laughs> you'd be like, okay, I'd be, I, can, I guess arthritis is in the bones, though. Is it? Or is it in the joints? Well, the joints are part of the bones. Yeah, but they've got like tendons well, and like cartilage but the arthritis is at least what my mom has in her back is the overgrowth of bone pressing on nerves but you have no nerves you know that's true (laughs) why does he complain about his pain all the time he doesn't have anything to feel pain i think it's part of that concept of like well let's talk a little bit more about phantom pains so we've got these two main spirits you've got la uh la muerte la muerte and you've got shibalba yeah shibalba is the name of the I want to say as oh geez I'm gonna have to look this up again I always get Aztec and Mayan because I'm a terrible uh uh is Mayan yeah uh Shibalba is the Mayan underworld um or I guess it's the I don't know how to pronounce it Quiche Mayan because there's different of course different Mayan cultures like it's not homogenous uh Shibalba was the Mayan underworld Mm -hmm. not a particular dude but I like how they sort of took the idea and just made him because if you were if you were Mayan like, you did not want to ever die because unless you were killed violently, you were tormented for eternity. I don't care who you were. Like, you died and you had to go through all these trials and tests and, like, tortures and torments just to, like, get your feet on the ground. And then there were, like, seven 
gods of the underworld who were like, I am Rotten Claws and like, I am Snaggleteeth. And you had like, and they all had like kids who all wanted to like tear you apart. And like, like you hear about like the, oh, so-and-so descended to the Greek underworld to save his girlfriend. I know that person had a name of Orpheus descended to the Greek underworld. Uh, but the Greek underworld sounds terrible, but like the Mayan underworld sounds, it's like, and I don't Shibalba means like place of terror. So they adopt Shibalba as just a character. They make mm-hmm. the idea of this. He sort of is like, everything bad in the world. Yeah, they sort of make him like the the he's the bad underworld, the land of the forgotten, and mm-hmm. that's where he rules. And the, their whole wager is like if he wins the wager, he gets to rule the land of the remembered. Now La Muerte is fascinating because Santa Muerte, Santa Muerte. I'm terrible with accents, but Santa Muerte is a Let's talk about Mexican religion. Let's talk about Catholicism in Mexico. Let's talk about Mayan and Aztec beliefs that stayed in the culture, but then the Catholics came to Mexico from Spain and said, you're all going to be Catholic now. But the Mexican, like, like the people who originated in Mexico hung on to their older beliefs and incorporated it into Catholicism because I don't know how much you know about Catholicism. I don't know anything about what you're talking about. Catholicism has all these saints, right? Yeah. Like you just got hundreds of saints that you can pray to. And to people who grew up in a multi-spirit, multi-God culture, yeah, that's kind of the same thing to them. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people talk, say about Catholicism. It's like, well, I thought you only had one God. And they're like, no, no, those are saints. But to a new, like to people introduced to it, they're like, oh, well, then we'll just incorporate our gods into this pantheon that's, you've already got set that's up. That's kind of like what happened with the Greeks and the Romans. Right, but it just makes sense. Like, yeah. you have a pantheon, we have a pantheon, we'll just incorporate our pantheon. Of course, the Catholics are like, no, 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 you can't, totally can't do that because this is like all Christianity and that's satanic. And they're like, whatever, dude, we've got all these cool. <laughs> so you have you have characters, for want mm-hmm. of a better word, in in Mexican Christian culture who are... Santa Muerte, who is a basically the spirit of death, and mm-hmm. she is a hooded saint who is worshipped, and there is mm-hmm. a cult of Santa Muerte in in Mexico that is actually uh, growing by the day, especially in America, uh, people who worship Lady Death, and she's actually very strong in the Mexican LGBTQ community uh, because she represents the downtrodden, and there is this. And forgive me if I get really enthusiastic about this, but I love I love this uh, because the Mayans and the Aztecs had so much focus on death mm-hmm. uh, and living, you know, having a good death, and this concept that uh, you communed with your ancestors after death, and yeah. that we all died, and that's the pity of life, but that's also the beauty of life because at the end, that's the leveling of of humanity. We're yeah. all dead, and then you had the. Uh, the, the Spanish and the Europeans who came over and they brought with them the idea of the uh, of the dance macabre, the 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 dance of death, the fact that we at the end of our lives, the from the richest to the poorest, we all dance with death. We're all mm. risen from the grave and we all sort of get involved in this not bacchanal because that's not Christian, but like this, like we are all united in death yeah. and how. And so when that came to Mexico, then in the 20th century, in the early 20th century, there was this notion of like, well, there's like the elites and there's the poor and there's like this huge gap between them. So many, so Mexican artists created this concept of like, 
the unfairness of like showing the unfairness by like have by representing like the dead as dressing like the elite and that became the idea of uh of this character called uh katrina who is uh, a skeleton woman dressed in f- in fancy frippery and the character of la muerte uh, in this movie is re- definitely reflects the appearance of the katrina who is uh who who sort of it, it originally showed that like isn't it hilarious that we divide people up by, uh, by money and status and fashion? Uh, that the Europeans that we all strive to be European, uh, when at the end of the day, underneath our skin, we're just bone, and at the end of the day, we're all gonna die, and it doesn't matter. Like we're just we're all humans. Like there is this great equality that we all have. Um, and so you had like the Katrina who became like that's when you started seeing like all these like skeletons dressed up like uh like aristocracy mm-hmm. and you still see that in like in like and a lot of Mexican art that's the uh and that sort of became very like tied in with the, with the the Mayan and the Aztec iconography of the skull and this notion of of communing with the dead after death cuz the the Europeans brought over like uh uh, All Saints Day and the and the and the and then the, but the but the uh, the the uh, sorry I'm, getting, I'm I'm stuttering over my words I'm getting ahead of myself like the the pre-Columbian uh, uh, Mexican cultures that had like already communed with the dead and they all kind of combined and then we ended up with uh, Dia de los Muertos the Day mm-hmm. of the Dead yeah which is this weird hodgepodge of all these different cultural ideas of like talking with the dead and and paying homage to the dead and you see that even in our house when uh when alana lights uh Mm -hmm. candles for the dead uh for her dead relatives um or when you know in catholic churches people light candles there's this importance of remembering the dead because that's how you make them live and I was actually just trying to talk about La Muerte, the character, how she represents, like, in this one figure that that they designed for this movie, she represents this notion of beauty, but inevitability, but gentleness of death, but also, like, you are still going to die. And characters in this movie die. Like, his whole family dies and goes to the underworld. And he dies and goes to the underworld. Yeah, but they stay dead. Mm-hmm. Like, they're all scared. Skeletons at the end. Beautiful skeletons. Beautiful though. skeletons. Um, but they're still dead. Like that's a and it's a thing to be sad about, but also a thing to like What you need to do is write a best selling novel about your entire family and then everyone will remember your family forever. <laughs> like like who who did that? Nobody. <laughs> I have no idea. I haven't read very many books about actual dead people. <laughs> Just fake dead people. Yep. <laughs> um but I don't know, like there's this <sighs> Mexican culture is so, well, hey, Mex- Mexico's huge. Yeah. So there's no such thing as like Mexican culture. That's like American culture. Like what even are you talking about? Mm-hmm. But uh, the, just this, <sighs> what is it with Mexicans and death is like the big question that the movie poses. What is it with Mexicans and death? Like why aren't we as connected to death? Because we didn't grow up in Mexican culture. But like, I mean, just like in general, like why aren't people in in our world, in our bubble? Because we perceive death as being a horrible, horrible, horrible thing. And I don't know if like 
people who are connected to death don't see death as a horrible thing. I mean, obviously, you still go to the hospital when you get hurt and you try to keep from dying. But maybe it's because you and me personally and also like many people in what we think of as like white Christian generic culture, Mm -hmm. American culture, see death as a thing to be mourned and buried and moved on from. and moved on from yeah <laughs> whereas in cultures where there's a strong emphasis on today is the day that we not only like remember our dead relatives but talk to our dead relatives and like commune with our dead relatives um, and have like little shrines up in our houses for them to just stay up all the time mm-hmm. so that we never forget you know maybe i don't know maybe we would be more connected maybe we could start doing that maybe we could um ofrendas i think they're called the uh the little shrines you put up for your for the dead um i don't know but this movie is so much about that yeah it's so much about did you ever see kubo and the two strings we watched that together you saw Kubo and the Two Strings. <laughs> we watched it together. And uh, <laughs> we and it, own that movie. It's very much the same yeah. idea. Like, I'd say this movie and Kubo both very well deal with the notion of remembering the dead and the importance of remembering the dead. Um, but let's talk about these characters. I keep trying to get to the characters. I really want to talk about Manolo and Maria and uh, Joaquin. Uh, because Manolo wants to make his family happy. Mm-hmm. But he also doesn't like the way he wants to make his family happy. Yeah, because he doesn't like... Fighting. Yeah. He's a, he's a lover, not a mm-hmm. fighter, as, they, as the saying goes. <laughs> and uh, he's, played by, he's played by Diego Luna, who is a phenomenal actor. And uh, then there's Joaquin Mondragon, who is the son of the town hero. The town is called San Angel. And the town hero's dead. Yeah, the town hero's dead. There's like a statue of him mm-hmm. in the middle. And he's played by uh, Channing Tatum, who is not Latino, but that's okay. It works. Well, I mean, Ron Perlman's in it. That's true. Uh, <laughs> we cannot overlook the fact that Ron Perlman plays Chivalba. Mm-hmm. And he's great. Yeah. I would say that his role as Chivalba gives him a lot more range than he's had in some of the movies. Mm-hmm. Because he gets to be cruel and also uh, abashed once he... And he gets to be kind. Yeah, but I'm saying like when he gets called out for like cheating... Uh, he is like, yep. Yeah, but he's just like, yeah. I'm, like You get to hear him be contrite and sorry. like. And it's like... I, I like the character of Shibaba because it shows that he's not evil. He's not. And I love that. He's just sad (laughs) yeah and he there's this woman who he loves who he doesn't have right and he has to uh i guess when you're eternal and someone makes a big stupid mistake you sort of like get used to the fact that you have eternity to get over things yeah so you can hook back up with them because they're probably going to make that mistake again Mm -hmm. like it just because he's done this before yeah and he will do it again because these are folk because that's his nature and that's their story Mm -hmm. like they are folk characters who sort of repeat this over and over and over again uh la muerte is played by kate del castillo 
whose work I'm not familiar with. She is a, uh, I believe she's a Mexican actress, a Mexican and American actress. Um, I don't know her work very, very well, but she is brilliant in the role. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love her voice. I love her performance. Uh, and it's, I think it's funny that like, even though the, the, the tour guide is also La Muerte, they chose a different actor to play. Yeah to play that voice so as not to give it away mm-hmm. like it was it was very useful um but uh maria posada the the main woman in the in the movie is played by zoe saldana who is a very good actor and who is in everything that we watch from guardians of the galaxy to star trek to she uh she really encompasses the role very well i'd say all the vocal performances all the performances in this movie are spot on even placido domingo plays one of the uh one of the dead ancestors who's always singing opera and i was like oh this guy's got a really good voice and then i see the credits and it's like placido domingo there's a lot of latinx performers in this and then there's del toro and Guillermo del toro plays uh the <laughs> the how so there's this because <laughs> apparently I'm the only one who remembers this. So when um, Manolo comes to Day of the Dead, there's this guy who greets him on the skeletal horse, and he's like, "Let's go!" And he takes Manolo down this really really steep hill, and there's he he's talking to Manolo about how he was waiting for his wife, the love of his life, to appear, and this woman pops up, and she, I can't remember exactly what she does. She like makes like kissy faces at him or something and he's like too soon <clears throat> and that is who del toro plays he plays the woman making <laughs> kissy noises he plays the wife um <clears throat> i love like, here's something funny mm-hmm. uh so many 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 of the characters in this are played by latinx actors mm-hmm. uh who are not just latinx actors but who have like actual accents mm-hmm. like you hear the real accents and it is so rare that I'm watching the movie and I'm hearing these accents and I'm thinking, they got white people to do accents. Because I'm so used to white people playing Mexicans yeah. in animated motion pictures that to hear it legitimately done, my brain doesn't want to accept that it's legit. I just assume that it's... That's what I assumed as well. People just do an accent. And then I'm like, oh, wait, no, wait, that's actually Cheech Marin. Like, that's actually Cheech sounding like Cheech. That's actually uh, uh, Gabriel Iglesias sounding like Gabriel Iglesias. You know what I'm very happy about? Um, Shababa's character didn't have an accent. You want to know why? Because it was Ron Perlman playing it. Like, when you have a white person playing, like, unless they have a real accent. Yeah. Like, an American playing a character and they do an accent. I, it's like not it's weird i don't like it i'm like well especially when you're talking about like white people playing mexican and people of color like is because there's the i think that the rule generally is a non-british playing a british usually sounds bad but it's fine but it's fine because there's a because there's an equality of oppression basically like yeah uh we're we've both been uh guilty of the same crimes Mm -hmm. uh but when you are impersonating people who you can you lorded over as mm-hmm. as 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 colonizers as oppressors uh just politically then that's when it starts feeling ugly that's when 
you're making fun of. That's when it starts to like, even if you're doing it legitimately. Yeah. Um, like I believe that when, uh, when Channing Tatum as, as Joaquin, when he would say names, he would say them with the appropriate accent. Um, because I think that if you're, if you're going to do this for consistency sake, you would want to speak the names as they are intended to be spoken and the mm-hmm. words as they're intended to be spoken. Uh, but Channing Tatum does not put on an accent no. as Joaquin. He's just playing Channing Tatum. He sounds like Channing Tatum and he's great. Like mm-hmm. he does a really good job. Um, the movie deals with death. Yeah. Which most kids movies don't deal with. <laughs> or if they do, they deal with it as like the Lion King where it's like so-and-so died. Oh no, that's my motivation to do X, Y, and Z. Um, but going back to Kubo, mm-hmm. like that's another movie that dealt with with death. And oh, such a sad movie. This movie deals with, like I said, many of the same themes, um, but it's it's not a scary movie. Yeah. Even though it's full of skeletons and full of death imagery, there's nothing frightening about death mm-hmm. in this movie, which might seem a little flip in some ways, because like little kids would be like, wait. I've been around death. My grandparents have died. My, you know, family friends may have died. And they've seen that people actually do get extremely sad, extremely mournful. And there's no sadness or mourning in this beyond well, like beyond like the initial like when he thinks that Maria is dead. And well, they when he's talking about his mother during the day of the dead when he was a kid. Right, right. You get some of that, but uh they really present death as just uh, like your death is sort of this like just transition period into this world of the dead, which is an interesting thing because, you know, many people do believe in life after death. Uh, they do believe in heaven. They do believe in hell. They believe in whatever they, they believe in an afterlife. And I believe in reincarnation. But it's interesting to see it portrayed in a children's movie the way that people profess to believe in it. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, if you honestly believe it's just a doorway, then here's a movie where that is true. And... Eternal Party. Yeah, it's an eternal party. I don't know. It's it's refreshing. It's... Uh, I don't, I just really... I really, really like... like the way they, that this movie works. It's very fast. And action-y. It's got a lot of, a lot of good action sets, set pieces. Um, what did you think of the two cousins who uh, died during the Mexican revolution. I loved them. I loved them. <laughs> I want to marry them. <laughs> uh, they are twin. Or one of them, I guess. They're twin sisters um, who died protecting Zapata during the Mexican revolution. And they don't have many lines and they don't have much screen time, but they are awesome. Mm-hmm. Like I just want a shirt with them on it. Me too. <laughs> or I want them to get their own movie. Yes. I want a movie about them. Or at least like a short film <laughs> that appears like before the next Book of Life movie. And by the way, he did say that they are in pre-production. They are. He did has gone on record as saying that they are doing a Book of Life too. Yay. He said that he wants to do one about. The first movie is about Manolo. The second one will be about Joaquin. And he wants to do a third movie about that focuses on Maria. Like tell each of their story. And the second one, he says he, who knows what it'll actually end up being. But as of, as of the last time he spoke about it that I could find, he said he wants it to be about Joaquin's relationship with his father. Okay. So the first one was about Manolo's relationship with his parents. Which was bad. <laughs> and then Joaquin's relationship with his father. And then Maria. We don't really know much about Maria. She, her father is the, uh, mayor, the mayor of the town. Um, 
but it, it's very much about generational expectations. Uh, so yeah, so Joaquin ends up uh, still being the town hero, mm-hmm. but on his own terms. Yeah, without the crutch of this magic thing. And because uh, what is what is the theme is basically you, the only way to be a hero is to actually is to be selfless. To be selfless, that's what they said. And what does that mean to you? Well, I mean, heroism is weird to me. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to feel about it. It makes me feel kind of weird and gross inside. <laughs> I don't like when people like because yeah, saving the world that's heroism. Like that's awesome. But there's so many things now where people are doing just like basic things and they're getting called heroes for it. I would say that like. I would say that the movie, without calling it out, does a good job at showing how heroism is frequently confused with machismo and showing off your abilities. And being a giant narcissistic jerk. Right. There's a, there's a, uh, there's a strong current in Mexican culture uh, to be macho what's called like uh, to be what is called macho yes right? i know like but it's it's not just not just the term macho but like it's a it's a cultural mm-hmm. concept and i would say that joaquin is encouraged to be macho to be the mexican idea of macho to to speak to women in a certain way and to treat people in a certain way and to strut and show off in a certain way and he does that until he doesn't do that until he's like this isn't who i am yeah but he is selfless Mm -hmm. he proves that he can go up against something with the expectation of not surviving for the for the greater good um he puts the pin on um manola's back right with the because he thinks he's going to sacrifice himself and instead the, the story gets flipped but uh and then manola of course fully expected to like it's funny how they use that little like pin to allow both characters to be selfless and for them to both survive Mm -hmm. like it's a it's a nice it's a nice twist on the thing neither of them has to end up dead at the end but they both get to sacrifice their lives um and you do have a little bit of i would say ickiness in the sense that maria is still Maria is presented through most of the movie as a prize to be won. Mm-hmm. And that's on the surface a little gross. Mm-hmm. But I think the movie overcomes that with the character's attitudes. Okay. <laughs> the attitudes towards Murdia throughout this entire movie upset me. Mm-hmm. Because women are not an object. They're not a prize to be won. Right. Which is what she's presented at. Which I think... It's the point. Yeah. Like, I don't think it's done on accident as like a jerky move or anything. I think that's the point. I think, but she herself proves it wrong. Yeah. She's like, no, I can take care of myself and I don't need you. Like, if you guys do something wrong, I'm not going to just agree to marry you for the sake of you saved the town here I am like <laughs> yeah she her character proves that wrong it's the attitudes of the male characters that gross me out like Manolo a little less because he's like I I love her like I want to be with her like he actually loves her right <clears throat> the father's attitude I just wanted to throw him off the cliff the entire time like I hated him her father yeah yeah and Joaquin, like, 
I guess he kind of overcame it, but during that dinner scene, yeah. he kind of lost. I lost all of my respect. <laughs> I feel like the movie, because the movie moves so fast, it doesn't have time to dwell on like <clears throat> certain plot points. Mm-hmm. I do feel that there is, it does, it does a decent job at the speed at which it's going of, of showing that like her father is desperate to have her married to Joaquin because he believes he's the only one who can save the town and that Joaquin won't stay if he's not married to Maria. Um, I do wish that Joaquin had just come out and said, I'll stay, I'll protect the town. Like, I don't, you don't need to buy me. Yeah. Um, But I think he was trying to live up to the machismo that his father would have wanted from him and be the macho man who has the woman. And that Manolo, I mean, there is still that, that notion of, well, of course, she's going to end up with one of them. I honestly thought through the course of the movie that at the end, she wasn't going to marry either of them. I and, wish that had happened. And that that had been the the resolution at the end. Like, oh, she doesn't have to marry either guy. Like, they're just friends. They're all friends. And there's nothing romantic between them. And those two guys can deal. Although I am happy she ended up with Manolo. I liked, because obviously I'm happy that she ended up with Manolo because he's a great guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> I liked the fact that Joaquin kind of redeemed himself during the wedding scene where he's like, she doesn't love me. Yeah. Like, I don't want to marry her if she doesn't love me. Right. During the, they almost get married and the, the minister asks her, you know, do you agree to take him as your husband? And she's like, yes, because she's just trying to save the town. Yeah. And when he asks Joaquin, there's this hesitation. And then of course the wedding's interrupted, but you see Joaquin the whole time. Just like, he feels weird about this. He does not happy. Yeah. And, and I, 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 I like that through the whole movie they emphasize that Joaquin's not the bad guy. Yeah. He's simply the he's a he's a he's standing in the way of our hero, mm-hmm. but not intentionally and not with and any. He's not. He's he's a hero too. Like yeah, in like, the end, he's like, a legit hero. Um, you know, in the end, the bad guy is defeated. He gets blown up. Um, and the bad guy, by the way, looks awesome. Like. What I like about this movie is that Manolo never actually kills anybody. Yeah. Like there's like he doesn't kill. That's his whole thing. Yeah. The only time anyone like dies is the bad guy because the bad guy blew himself up. Right. And he saves the town by putting a bell over him or right. something. <laughs> yeah, the bell falls on him and they blow up he, the 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 bandit king uh Shakal, I think his name is, uh ends up dead dead by blowing himself up underneath the bell but manolo's wearing the pin um but yeah like they all get to be heroes uh without without resorting to like overt violence or anything yeah. i mean people do get blown up in this movie but it's not graphic or anything you don't mm, see no. it. it's very cartoony it's very like well they're dolls they yeah. fall apart. yes it's very they're dolls and it's very warner brothersy like mm-hmm. there's an explosion and you don't like see like a bunch of body parts like it's just um and there's a and there is a dance like this is one of those oh the cartoon ends with a dance number there's a dance number at the end, but it actually makes sense because it's a big celebration and a big wedding. And I like the the sisters dance or the cousins dancing with who are they dancing with at the end? Yeah, I don't remember. But like they were having fun. Yeah, it's a uh, it's the whole the whole movie just really works very well. Like the mm-hmm. whole thing just along the way, the casting, the the design, the the themes. Uh, I think it's very obvious that we both recommend this movie. Yes, it's great. Uh, <clears throat> I did want to use it. I know that I don't want to go too long on this episode, but I did want to use this movie. I was worried about watching this movie. 
I had never seen it before. Um, but I've, as I've talked about a little bit in this episode, I have a very, a very uncomfortable relationship with my heritage. Mm-hmm. And it's only been in recent years that I have actually started looking at my background yeah. and Mexican culture. And like I said, I didn't learn Spanish. We would go to family events and I would be uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable on our own street when there's Day of the Dead celebrations or because we live in an area with a large mm-hmm. Latinx population. And on our very street, just blocks from our house down at the down near the library and near the uh, near the intersection there by the train station, there's big street celebrations and stuff. And I walk through and I feel like a fraud. Um like there's people like eating elotes and there's like mariachi bands performing and I don't feel like I can even go up to a booth and say like one elotes please because I'm like they're gonna know that I'm just some schmuck who doesn't deserve to be here um and it's weird to feel so outside of my own my own heritage mm-hmm. um and I don't know how to get back into it or into it at all without feeling like a tourist like i'm not looking for help yep i know that's why i'm not saying anything (laughs) but i don't i don't know how to like i'm trying but i don't know how to how to broach that like breach that wall broach breach breach the wall uh, it's just it's there and it and it came about because my father didn't want us to be branded you know like outsiders so he didn't want his kids to be you know like too mexican um he he f- made himself lose his own accent uh so that he could get by in business when he was a young man um and you know we'd be driving in my car in my not my car my father's car and he would see like mexican yard workers uh out on the side of the road or in front of people's houses uh and he would make disparaging remarks about them because he believed that they were giving mexicans a bad name just by being who they were and by you know like walking around without their shirts on or with like uh towels on their heads to protect them from the sun and he would make comments about you know what a good mexican was versus what a bad mexican was and I don't think this is my father being a bad person. I think this is my father growing up in a time when, and but that's that's never really gone away. But growing up in a time when Mexican visibility was nothing, and where he was trying so hard not to be a joke or a punchline, um, and being very sensitive to not being seen as just another Mexican in Texas. Uh, and unfortunately, I think that that reverberated with me so strongly that I started seeing Mexican as something to just push way down. And if I ever talked about it, I talked about it in a very joking, self-deprecating way. Like, ah, I'm just a Mexican. And my friends would be like, ha, ha, ha. Oh, we're allowed to joke about this? Great. And so, like, I had friends who would make, like, gross jokes about me being Mexican because I sort of gave them permission to because it made me feel less vulnerable. And I have a lot of, I think, shame about that. 
like not only about the way I treated my own culture, but also like the fact that then I never, I never even secretly embraced it. I was never like secretly trying to be Mexican. Like I was just like, forget it. I'll be Mexican. I, I wouldn't even put Mexican on like forms I filled out. Cause it'd be like one of the options would be like white Latino. And I'd be like, mm, I'll just be white. And it was actually Alana who said, you need to start putting Mexican on these things. I'd be like, why? I don't feel Mexican. Like I don't identify. And she'd be like, it's matter what you identify. Like you represent, you are Mexican. You represent your culture. You represent, and they're looking for numbers. Like they're looking to count the Mexicans and you need to count yourself among that group. And we would get in arguments about this and like these conversations just like, oh, I don't. But it was one of those things where what she said planted a seed. And then I see the way she relates to her Jewish heritage, Mm -hmm. which is also very complex, the way she relates. Mm -hmm. And but it sort of set an example for me of how to interact with my background and I guess I'm trying now to sort of look into it and feel my way around it. I don't have many good like role models, but honestly, this show that we're doing together, and I'm sorry if it doesn't sound like we're doing it together because I'm talking so much. I, I'm just letting you talk because <laughs> you need you need to talk. Like <laughs> This show, looking at the works of Guillermo del Toro and looking at the works of... Uh, all of the collaborators he have who are Mexican and Spanish and Latinx and, and seeing that there is this, and just doing the research on the show and seeing that there is this vibrancy and this culture that has been living and growing right next door to America that we tend to write off because the only thing we ever see about Mexico is immigration and drug usage and drugs and gang and death which is kind of all here as well which is all here as well but it's also very border based like these are your border towns whose problems have only been helped along by american policy um when when that's all you see and you don't see the people living on the other side of the border who are artists and politicians and doctors and creators and teachers and 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 blue collar workers just like blue collar workers in america and but who have grown up in this culture of that was very much influenced by the pre-columbian aztec and mayan and that this there's this psychology behind it that's just like yes death is all around us and reading about game of the tour growing up and seeing bodies and seeing violence and and uh and uh and jorge gutierrez talking about how like they would move cities because things would get too violent and, you know, moving from Mexico city to Tijuana and do you know, to get away from things that you and I will never have to encounter. But then like seeing like Jorge Gutierrez talking and being like, I want him to be my friend. Cause he seems like such a fun guy to hang out with and realizing that I never had Mexican friends. Like even in college where many of my classmates were Mexican, I kind of stayed away because I didn't get that background and I'm not trying to be like the whiny white guy who's like, Oh, I never got to experience my own culture. I'm so like deprived. It was my own choice. And I'm an adult. I'm a 40, almost 41 year old man who like made these decisions. 
but I don't know. I just, I guess this show has really shown me that a, that my culture exists and is alive, Mm -hmm. but also that it's tangible. Like it's something that I can actually like discover and hold on to. Mm -hmm. So I apologize for going on about it. Don't apologize at length, but also something that I can give to you. Like you're not, stuck just being another white kid who has to just sort of accept the white culture that surrounds us like i can show you and show you ways to get into avenues of your culture that maybe you didn't even think were open because you have this last name that is not mexican and you have a face that doesn't appear to be mexican but that you have this blood though that is definitely mexican that we are allowed to explore our backgrounds and explore our histories and our cultures. So I would like to apologize to you for not opening that door up to you when you were younger because I didn't open that door up to me when I was younger. <laughs> I'm getting emotional I about this. Too. <laughs> but I'm glad that we have this opportunity to share beautiful things that come from our culture. <laughs> I love you very much. I love you too, Dad. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't mean to get all emotional about this, but I knew I was going to get emotional about this when we were going to watch the Book of Life because I want you to be able to write your own story and to know that I don't have any expectations beyond you being happy and doing what you want to do with your life. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and you're never going to let me down. The only way you can let me down is if you kill someone (laughs) accidentally and then don't tell the police. If I kill somebody accidentally, I'll probably tell the police. (laughs) Please do. (laughs) Don't kill anyone (laughs) accidentally. It'd be a horrible thing to do. Okay, okay. First of all. (laughs) Please don't kill anyone. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know why I went there. (laughs) If I was to kill somebody accidentally, I don't think I could control it because it would be an accident. Stay out of the situation. Don't get into any situation where you're going to kill someone. I'll never drive a car. Okay, don't drive a car. Don't like throw guns in the air i don't know how you accidentally <laughs> kill someone don't throw guns in the air don't throw guns in the air don't throw knives in the direction of people i don't know why i said that like just know that you're not going to disappoint me like just be yourself be honest to yourself and watch for our listeners watch jorge gutierrez's tedx talk this is the second time you've heard me cry on this show this is the first time you've heard me cry on this show congratulations viewers take a drink if you're playing, don't, don't play the drinking game. Only, with the show. only drink if you're legally allowed to and or want to. Right. And no, don't, don't drink if you're underage. Don't drink if you're listening to podcasts. They'll put bad ideas in your head. Don't drink. Like starting a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> don't go down my route. Hey, your route's awesome. I love this route. You dragged me down this route. <laughs> I'm dragging the rest of you down with me. So 2014's The Book of Life. It is a good movie, mm-hmm. and I recommend it. Uh, I recommend you looking up uh, El Tigre, uh, The Adventures of Manny Rivera, which is uh, the other big media thing that uh, Jorge Gutierrez did. Uh, you can find his short film uh, that inspired uh, The Book of Life online. Uh, he's got other work coming up, including apparently Book of Life too. Mm-hmm. Fingers crossed that it'll get made. Um, but yeah, book of life, solid, solid motion picture. Uh, anything you need to add? No. 
Um, this is one of three podcasts that I have. I got two others. I got one that's about Beverly Cleary called Click It Cast. I've got one that is about the Berenstain Bears called, called Deep, Deep in Bear Country. Deep in Bear Country, Berenstain Bearcast. You can find both of those online. I co-host Click It Cast with John McCoy, who's a great, great guy. Uh, he lives in Boston. I've never met him face to face. Um, but uh, we're, we're going to keep doing this show. What yes. is our next project? Crimson Don't Peak. Say it out loud because it won't happen. <laughs> We are finally, finally, finally getting to... Which is the entire reason we started this podcast. We were just talking about this earlier, which is that... I said, I want to watch Crimson Peak. And yep. my dad's like, no, you have to watch every other movie first. Yeah, I was like, you can't just watch Crimson Peak. You can't jump in if you don't know Guillermo del Toro's <laughs> entire like film history because it won't make any sense to you. Like You've got to like dig deep. And so we started out and I was like, you want to do a podcast? And I was like, yep. <laughs> If you're ever having trouble finding time to do anything, start a podcast because then you have to find time to do it. Exactly. You ever want to spend time more time with your kid? Start a podcast because <laughs> then you have to schedule time to spend with your kid. <laughs> As, that's not meant to be cynical. It's just like it's hard to find time some days. Especially when your kid doesn't want to do anything. And especially when you're just a terrible planner. <laughs> so... Uh, start a podcast, spend more time with your kids, watch a lot of movies. Embrace your culture. Embrace your culture. Go out and read a book. It's never too late. Like I said, I'm 44, almost 41 years old. And I'm like, you know what? Dang it. I'm Mexican and Spanish. And I'm proud of that. So I'm very lightheaded right now. Because <laughs> we've been, you haven't been able to hear it. We've also been like, we've been sucking a lot of helium while we do the show. I'm kidding. We're not sucking helium. I couldn't think of any other reason why you'd be lightheaded. I turned on the gas and then never lit the burner. So <laughs> We're all going to die. We're all going to die. We're, we're dead in two minutes. We are all going to die, though. Book of life. <laughs> Watch the movie. Watch the movie. Uh, but until next time, I'm Phil. And I'm Ollie. And we'll see, see you when, when it's Del, Del Toro, Toro time. time. Adios. That's... I shouldn't have said that. That was me trying to be like... Connected to my culture. Right. Adios. <laughs> <laughs>